Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solutions. Thank you for listening in on this third podcast in the series that we call Tour de Cooling, where we intend to talk about all parts of a typical commercial refrigeration system, you know, a cold room, walk-ins, etc. Today we have reached the condenser and the immediate connected fans and controls. We have our application expert Jörg Saar and John Broughton in the studio for a chat about their practical experiences and advices on the subject. For questions, comments, suggestions, please send an email to chillingwithjens, in one word, at danfoss.com. Thank you for joining uh, again. Just just to kick off a discussion, a chat, uh, I guess we, you could say that the condensation is about liquefying, right? So what is actually happening when you liquefy? What is it that happens inside that condenser well yeah as you say you you liquefy something the refrigerant of course that's what we what we have in the refrigeration system and that refrigerant comes as a gas and then we liquefy that which sounds yeah somewhat easy but strange as well why should go something from a gas to a liquid uh, because we take energy out in in the form of heat. We take that out and by that we are able to to liquefy that gas. Or you could put it the other way around. We kind of force that to liquefy because we take energy out. Or we use the, li- the liquefying to get the energy out. It, it depends on how you look at it, but that's in fact what happens. Yeah. Yeah, another phase shift, so so it's, to speak. It's a phase shift. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then also puts uh, quite a few de- uh, demands on 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 that condenser. Well, I mean, obviously, the first thing would be uh, for the condenser to be able to get rid of the heat. That's, I guess, is pretty obvious. Um. And, and 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 for that we have several different types of condensers. Um, can we sort of put a frame around the the, the the types that we're going to talk about today? I, I guess Jens, the 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 main one is going to be air cooled because I would say that is the most common type of um, condenser heat exchanger. Um, I don't know whether we could put a percentage on it sort of globally. Um, but you've got to be up, you know, 80, 90%, I guess, of air-cooled condenser. Obviously, we've got air-cooled condenser. We've then got water-cooled condenser. Um, trying to think if there's any others. Well, maybe if you have kind of a, a heat pump that heats up oil, any thermal oil, then you would have an, an oil-cooled which is basically the same as water cooled. It's just a different type of, of liquid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, that's an interesting question to myself, actually, is you think of air-cooled and water-cooled, but is there anything else out there? Um, well, the, the, yeah, the, there is, because what we have as well, but now we dive already pretty deep, <laughs> is uh, a cascade heat exchanger, where you have a two-stage system, where the condenser of, of the lower is the evaporator of the upper one. True. Yeah. So, yes, you condense there by evaporating the other refrigerant. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for a, a, a last stage, yeah. yeah. Interesting. That, that yeah. exists as well. And, and talking about that, um, that's one thing maybe to mention as well, just, just to have that in mind for everybody. As mentioned, we come with a gas, we condense that, and we leave the condenser with a liquid. That means a phase change, as you mentioned, and a huge, huge change in density in volume hmm. yeah. you come with 1000 liters of gas and you might condense that into five liters of liquid yeah. but that's a that's a major major change yeah. there that yeah. we are having there yeah 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 pressure stays exactly the same yeah but, but the volume is yeah. yeah fascinating actually but that's also why the condensation uh process of condensating is is actually quite quite interesting um but if we if we should sort of get a bit more practical um when we're cooling uh this gas that happens inside an air coil as you said in i don't know 90 percent of all cases um but I guess it also has to do with the airflow through that air coil. Hmm. Any particular things we should address in that context? I guess as one of the things that I always say is airflow, airflow, and more airflow. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. We need to keep the condenser clean. It's a heat exchanger. Yeah. It's dirty with you know leaves, crisp packet, dust, dirt, whatever. It's not going to act as a heat exchanger. And the refrigeration system will suffer yeah. um, for that. So yeah, it needs to be kept clean, and it needs good airflow across it. Yeah, agree. And there's, you could say that there is a kind of trade-off. Uh, trade-off is trade-off is the wrong word, but either you have no airflow and a, an immensely big surface, you could do that. And then the heat um, can can dissipate into the surrounding air. Then you need to make your your surface, your heat exchanging surface, extremely big, or you have more airflow and can reduce your heat exchanging surface. Usually, you don't want to go to the extremes. So you don't want to have zero airflow and a very huge surface, or an extremely high airflow and a tiny surface. Usually, you want to be somewhere in between because airflow is noise and so on and you need to shovel the air around so you need to have a fan with a lot of power so some somehow you you find a good compromise between the area to do your heat exchange or so the surface of your heat exchanger and the airflow and then as john said that's the important thing if you have found that compromise you need to make sure that you keep it like mm. that and don't make your heat exchanger surface dirty because then it becomes in reality smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see. 
Um, just just talking about surfaces and and yeah, uh, airflow across these surfaces. Um, I know uh, we we have several different types of of air coils air uh, or technologies in in air coils. We have uh, what is it called fin and tube? That's the one of them. That's probably the main ones, I guess. Mm -hmm. But we also have this this micro channel thing uh going on any comments in that respect um yeah i mean if we if you talk about uh thin and tube which would be the let's say traditional method of making a condenser mm. generally it's not as efficient so the temperature difference between condensing and uh ambient air is greater mm. um if you take uh let's say for example and don't quote me on the exact figures but the temperature difference on a thin and tube is 12, 15 degrees difference between condensing and, and ambient air. Um, if you talk about a microchannel, you'd be talking about eight degrees Kelvin mm -hmm. difference between condensing and ambient air. Mm -hmm. So it, it does become more efficient. Um, the physically cleaning a microchannel compared to a thin and tube, the dirt will generally stick on the outside of the microchannel. Um, a bit like a carpet, I suppose, so you can clean it off better. It doesn't get ingrained into the tubes in the fin so much. Um, one strange thing with microchannel is that if you, uh, let's say the dark art of refrigeration, <clears throat> if it's a very hot summer's day and a fin and tube condenser um, in the past, some people would put a hosepipe on it um, mm. to try and lower the head pressure yeah. uh, to get refrigeration effects. If you do that on a on a microchannel, you'll actually block the airflow completely yeah. on that uh, on that heat heat exchanger surface, and that's mm. because the fins are closer to each other. The, yes. the structure is different, and you have the water sticking in between, blocking the air. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 I've got I've got a really good video of that from a site visit some years ago, mm. um, with a smoke grenade. Mm. Um, so you can actually see it, and it's uh, quite interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are the, the two main types. Is there any other types? Well, yes, um, there are. If you go, for example, to a domestic refrigerator, you have these pipes with, it's, it's mainly pipe and, and thin steel wires on, on that one. You might have, have that on smaller, on smaller ones as well yeah. but that's on commercial refrigeration systems it's typically either yeah, most of them are fin and tube and then we have some some micro channels mm -hmm. and there's everything in life you said um, there are advantages for fin and tube there are advantages for micro channels micro channels might be able to generate a smaller temperature difference they might have a, a smaller refrigerant charge they sometimes are easier to clean well, that sounds all good. So why why is it that we don't find microchannels everywhere? Well, the manufacturing process is is different, and a fin and tube you can you can get that in more shapes and sizes for a smaller number of pieces. You can do two of them maybe who have a specific shape. <coughs> Microchannel is is more a standard thing, a standard size, a standard shape. I mean, seen from seen from outside, the typical service task when we're looking at a, a condenser is cleaning, yes. cleaning, and cleaning. Yep, yep. 
Those are the typical service tasks. Yes. And if you've done that and it still is not working, which honestly is rare because it usually is cleaning, then there are one or two things left. Yeah. Could be fan, uh, airflow across from the fan. The fan might actually be uh, faulty, but it might actually just be circulating with the, um, let's say, wind that's blowing across the condenser. So you think the fan is working, but it's not. Um, if, at least if you look at it from a distance. Um, if it's a multi-fan condenser, even more so. Um, so things like that. Um, yeah, and also, as we've said, airflow, airflow, and airflow. Mm. Um, but also check the inside of the condenser. So don't just look at the outside where the air comes uh, onto the condenser, but actually check the air leaving the condenser as well and make sure that part is clean mm. um, because that's sometimes missed. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's one thing which sometimes, rarely, but you probably have seen that as well, John, you do a service on on the fan of the condenser, and then you have that fan blade. You take that off, change the motor, or just change the fan blade, put a new one in, and you really need to pay attention which way around you put it in so that the airflow is correct in the right direction. I guess it happens. It happens to the best. Yes. <laughs> All of a sudden, you, you you mount everything, you switch it on, and you notice, oh, no, <laughs> yep. the airflow is the wrong way. Yep. And you start to dismantle the whole thing again. Yeah, and, and even to take that one, one step further, if it's a three-phase fan motor that you're oh, changing, yeah. make sure the phase rotation is the right way. So the air, uh, I would say in general, and I stand to be corrected, but should basically always draw across the condenser and then across the compressor. Yeah. Um, that at least the way I was taught from you know 16 years old. Mm. I don't know if that happens in any other part of the world, say the Middle East, if you do it the other way. So across the condenser, uh, sorry, across the compressor, and then across the condenser. I don't know. The usual way is, as as I know it, first through the condenser and then blow it to the compressor or whatever. Mm. Because if you do it the other way around, you do not use the whole heat exchanger. Yeah. because you only use the circular size of, of the fan. It, it really is like a pipe that's mm. that's going through that airstream. You don't use the edges of the heat exchanger. Yeah. And if you suck the air through the heat exchanger, then you use all the surface of the heat exchanger. That's just, yeah. Yeah. But that's that's kind of it, right? I mean, of course you can have a damaged heat exchanger. Somebody damaged it, you have a hole, yes. That that happens, but as you said, Jens, cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. When it's clean, check whether it's really clean, and when it's really clean, then have a look at the other stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, just thinking about multi-fan condensers. Um, a very good story from a good friend of ours, Glenn, many many years ago. Um, a vertical condenser that was mounted, like you can't see this on, you know. Um, not mounted horizontally, mounted vertically, yeah. and they'd put it actually upside down. So the circuiting through the condenser was basically wrong. So they were having mm. issues with yeah. the liquid seal coming out of the condenser. So always make sure that if you're putting a vertical condenser in, that it is in the right way. Sure. Yeah. And that's 
that's where I see a, a bit of a difference, the first installation and a real service. So if you do a service and you know the system has been running before mm. already and it worked fine, then you, you all, kind of all you need to do is to get it back to that original stage. Mm. Clean it, make, make sure that you've done all the things we've talked before. When you install something for the first time, you need to pay a bit more attention, yeah. of course. Yeah. Where to install the, the condenser? How, where do you blow the air to? Do you blow it directly to a wall? It, it is rejected from the wall, it bounces back and is sucked into the condenser again. Mm. Um, that, that kind of stuff. Or do you mount it? And we've probably all seen that as well to make the condenser fan more quiet. Somebody put a housing around the condenser. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. yeah, how to reject your heat now? Yeah. Um, all, all that kind of stuff. That's what you need to do when you when you install it the first time, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then, then I guess there's that classic of you install something one time, and then another company would come in and install a condenser unit behind that condenser unit. Oh, yeah. So you're blowing hot air onto the condenser of the uh, other condenser unit, things like that. And yeah. so there's always that challenge of I've done a good job, and then somebody else comes along and does something that they shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. But that just comes back to that topic of airflow, airflow, and airflow. Yeah. Uh, you know, heat the heat exchanger. You, you mentioned multiple fan condensers, John. How do you see that? Let's assume you have three fans. Um, how do you control them? Um, switch them all off at the same time? One, or if, if you have a variable speed fan, what, what is best practice there? I guess it, it depends. If you've got a fixed speed machine, and uh, and I will say machine, but compressor, and that condenser with three fans is 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 made to do that duty. And then obviously in the low ambient, if you want to then uh, you know dial down the effectiveness of that condenser due to the reduction in ambient, you could do it via uh, fan speed control, um, or the old-fashioned way would be pressure switches. So each fan in turn would work on a pressure switch. Mm. Um, at least what I was always taught is. The fan closest to the header is the one that you always run. And then the other two are the ones that you would run on, on a pressure switch mm. so that you're always getting that liquid seal out of your condenser. If it was the, if you did the furthest one away, you would then not get a liquid seal out of your condenser with your liquid line, with your drain line. Mm. Um, the other thing that you have to be careful of is separation plates in condensers. Because if you have a condenser fan that is just, let's say, recirculating air and not actually working, that will uh, do some form of uh, heat uh, exchange on your condenser as well. So you have to be a little bit careful of, mm. uh, let's say, over-condensing as well. Mm. Um, but generally that's taken care of with the manufacturers of the condenser itself. Mm. Um, if you have, let's say, six fans on a condenser, you would generally run them in pairs. Um, things like that. Again, the first two would be the ones that would run closest to the header, and then the other two pairs would be the ones that would work off a pressure switch. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's all to make sure that your drain line out of your condenser, your liquid line out of your condenser, is liquid and it's not, um, you know, liquid stroke vapor. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Right. So, so you would you would say the first one. The closest one to the header would is be running constantly, depending what capacity you would need. Okay, um, that it, you know, if it's incredibly cold outside, yeah. that one 
uh, would be turned off also or run on, yeah. on a pressure switch or a fan speed control. Yeah. It all depends on the climatic requirements of that right. application itself. But then the, 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 the next two, let's just say we yeah. have three sets at least. Yeah. The next two would then be, um, say, adjusted to, to start up by, say, a, a sort of a staging, right? So, right, okay, so so uh, then you would turn on the next two, and after that, once you get a higher pressure or whatever it is, you would then end up having all three yes. uh, sets running. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and th that would also mean that, that you would only, say, take advantage of the the, the the complete compressor in in uh, in hot air so yes. it's all hot situations uh, hot summer days or yeah. something like yeah. that yeah okay yeah I mean the new way of doing that I guess would be having um, fans that are driven by a drive so mm. we have a variable speed on each fan in let's say the olden days <laughs> um, it would be a pressure switch yeah. Um, What's what's pretty important if you if you do it on pressure switches, and probably a lot of people have seen that as well. Choose a difference on the pressure switch that is big enough, because otherwise that fan constantly keeps oh, yeah. switching on and off within seconds. Um, I know a couple of of fans, and I'm watching one which is close to where I live, which is now running for seven months. And um, it's switching every three sec uh, every three to four seconds. So I wonder when it will fail. It cannot run for long. So yeah. I'm I'm let's let's see when it will fail. Yeah. And that pressure difference that that fan is creating over the entire system will affect the expansion valve because the expansion yeah. valve won't know what it's doing. Basically, mm. it needs to be stable. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, give it a, a decent diff. Let, let's let's just. Back to the to the drive uh, version. W would you then have all say if we had uh, talking about three sets again? Would you then uh, control all three sets with the same uh, speed? Um, on the systems that I've worked on, yeah. we've had one fan run permanently, ah, right. and then let's say it's a three fan condenser. Yeah. We'd have one fan run permanently, and then the other two would each be on a drive. Okay, yeah, and do it that way. But I guess everybody's got their own thoughts on your, sure. and again, it depends on the ambient temperature swing, the capacity of the yeah. condenser that we're trying to achieve. Pressure control of the condenser. Do we have any good advices, any sort of hints or rules of thumbs on on uh, how to control the, you could say the the pressure um, in in uh, in the Condenser, uh, apart from the the, the fan uh, speed, of course. Um, the the old way uh, was you put a sheet of cardboard across it in the winter, <laughs> and then in the springtime you take it off again. Um, that was the the old method, and yeah. indeed when I was much younger, we used to do that yeah. on a few sites. We'd block off half the condenser, um, and something totally separate. But if you think of the old Land Rovers. Yeah. Um, they had a switch inside which enrolled some fabric over the uh, radiator. Uh, yeah. That's another topic. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I still remember that one. Um, other ways to do it? Um, Actually, I was I was thinking on our uh, KV valves. Uh, what is it? The KVC? 
Yeah, um, th there are two things when we when we two pressures yeah. that we need to talk about when we talk about condensing. Mm. One is when something gets too warm, so we need to limit the pressure that it does not get too high. Mm. And that's what we usually do switching on fans, mm. increasing the airflow so we get rid of more heat. The other one is that we need to make sure we have enough pressure in the condenser. It's not getting too low. So we have these two things. We need to have the pressure somewhere in between. Too low can happen, as John said, when it's cold outside. So you switch off all your fans, mm. but there is still maybe a little bit of wind outside or just uh, just because the condenser is warm, warm air moves up and new fresh air comes in and you still have too much airflow without a fan even. What do you do now? And that's where the pressure controls come in so that you need to make sure that you still keep enough pressure in the system itself that your expansion valve can still work, that you have enough pressure to push your refrigerant through the expansion valve. And that's where the different valves come in, whether they are electric or mechanic KV valves, um, just to, to keep that minimum pressure. Mm -hmm. There's a classic example that I saw on site a couple of years ago. Um, we had a small um, condenser unit, but it was surrounded by AC units on a roof, and all the AC units were on heating. So mm -hmm. the condensers on the AC units were basically evaporators. So the area around this poor condenser unit was freezing, and there was mm -hmm. no head pressure control on the, on the condenser unit. Mm. So the discharge pressure was basically through the floor and the, the expansion valve was just not functioning. Mm -hmm. So that was a classic example of somebody installing something which worked fine, but then somebody else had done something and installed the AC units around it, mm. which had actually dragged the ambient temperature around because that condenser unit on the, uh, sorry, the condenser on the condenser unit was being blasted by cold air, mm. um, which was, you know, something you don't see every day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Right. And, and and that leads maybe to to another question. Um, say we, we have done the cleaning, we have done all the the uh, the fan checks and, and speed checks, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But we still have um, symptoms that sort of indicates that there may be problems with the con uh, condenser. What would be, and this is maybe a, a theoretical question, but what would be the typical uh, fault symptoms on a, on a condenser? I, I guess the, the most obvious one would be high discharge pressure. Mm. Um, the other one would be a warm liquid line. Um, because we're not getting that uh, heat exchange on the condenser itself. Very warm liquid line. Very warm liquid line, yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, the other ones that you would see that you would have to um, do some fault finding for would be the compressor would be pulling high amps. Um, obviously, the most obvious one, the system would be um, stopped on a, on a high pressure switch. Um, and obviously, your refrigeration system would not be providing refrigeration, basically. Yeah. Um, but the, the obvious one would be if it's still running, and nothing's tripped out, then a very high discharge pressure 
and obviously feeling your liquid line, um, which should be just above ambient as a, a good sort of rule of thumb. <laughs> and if it's anything warmer than that, your condenser is not, not doing what it should be doing. Agree. And then, as mentioned before, when, when we go to the opposite, that it's cold outside, your condensing pressure is not high enough so that you don't get refrigerant through the expansion valve, that might be the other thing. I mean, we always assume now that your refrigerant charge is okay, right? I mean, that's what we need to assume in, in this case and everything else is okay. But then you all of a sudden don't get capacity. You get a low pressure switch tripping even, which is on the evaporator. But that's because there is not enough refrigerant going from the condenser through the receiver, through the expansion valve. And that's why you might get a low pressure switch tripping because your condenser is too cold. You don't reach enough pressure in in your system. Yeah. That's that's it. And then one one thing maybe to mention mention that here, in case you have systems in a coastal area close to the sea, what we've seen once or twice is, let's say a nice seaside. You have the seashore, people surfing there, nice waves and everything like that. So um, then you get tiny droplets droplets in the air and maybe now your airflow is from the sea to the land so your your condenser is sucking in these droplets these tiny water droplets with a little bit of sea salt the the water droplets evaporate on the condenser and the sea salt stays on your condenser now you switch your system off maybe during the night everything cools down a bit and you have a little bit of air condensation air humidity condensation on your condenser plus the sea salt, great, great possibility to have corrosion. So a condenser might go within a month if, if you have that bad thing. So you need to make sure that your condenser is located somewhere where it's not in the full airstream, which comes from the sea, maybe behind the building or whatever, so it will not collect that much sea salt mm. and or it needs to be coated. Yeah. Thank you for listening in on this podcast. You'll meet Jörg Saar and John Broughton again in the coming episodes of Tour de Cooling. Please allow me to repeat what I mentioned in the start, that you can ask questions and send comments to us by sending them to chillingwithjens, in one word, at stanfors.com. Or you can post your question in the social medias where you find Danfoss, typically at LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. Thank you.